Second Just Dumb Enough episode of the week, everybody. I'm still recovering from being sick, but I am doing much better. Thank you for the well wishes, everyone. Hopefully I sound better for everyone else's sake. As for this interview, I've only had to give a warning about an episode once before, and it was when we were dealing with the child protection episode a while back. But I would say today's episode also deserves a little heads up kind of a warning. My guest, Fatima C. Oliver, and I get into some pretty heavy topics, which may be upsetting for some people. However, I do think that every single minute of this episode deserves its attention and respect. This probably isn't a great episode for kids to hear, just because there are some crimes that we talk about, most of which were against our guest while she was still a child. That said, I think the life lessons that we talk about are invaluable, and I think it's something that everyone should learn to harness. I'll stop talking now so we can get to the episode and you can hear her explain. Let's learn that it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. Welcome to the show, Fatima C. Oliver. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you reaching out and allowing me on your show so we could chat it up. (laughs) Yes. Thank you so much for coming on and speaking to my audience. Oh, my pleasure. Why don't you introduce yourself to my audience and feel free to take your time. Yeah. So um, again, my name is Fatima C. Oliver. I am someone who has went through the craziness of life. Um, have went through the trenches, um, very crazy, chaotic, um, lifetime movie network slash BET type of setting type of life. (laughs) Okay. No Disney or Nick Jr. stuff here. And um, came out on the other side with um, some peace and um, laughter and and self-determination and some grit. Um, Sometimes you have to laugh to stop from crying. So I definitely learned that along the way. Through that journey, I became a wife and a mother. And so I am now um, working in a space where because of my past, it has really opened up the door for me to work in a space where I help people to walk through what I consider a soul healing journey, um, dealing with or facing, handling, going back and reviewing those things that have Um, that they survived, similar to the craziness that I survived in my time. And um, I helped them to walk through those things that continue to haunt them in their current life, that may be holding them back from being their best self. And um, I walk with them through a step-by-step approach. Um, And in that, it involves, the the soul healing process involves um, really, really aligning ourselves with our spirituality, our physical um, needs, our emotional needs, and our mental needs, all of those factors that typically are screaming at us at one time or another, telling us to pay attention, but we're too busy. And um, in this space and time of of soul healing journey, we stop to pay attention to the signs that we are getting from those different elements that are screaming to us to tell us to pay attention to our downward spiral life because of drama And um, I help people to walk through that challenging time to get on the other side so they can smile and 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 keep it pushing like like I have learned to do. So um, in that um, it it encompasses me being a speaker, 
and an author. I actually just um, wrote my second book and also um, what we've been talking about, what I've shared very briefly, um, being looked at as a transformational speaker. So I'm very excited to be here and I can't wait to, to see what we talk about today. Yeah. And congratulations on your second book. A lot of people do their first and they're like, I never <laughs> want to do this again. Yeah, I definitely love writing. I've always loved writing as a kid, seventh grade. My, my, my journal, some, some essay was put into the, the local paper and I wrote to the president and he wrote back and I was hooked after that. And um, I've always just enjoyed journaling and writing in my diary that nobody was supposed to touch. And somewhere along the line, those things that I wrote about became more and more sad and pitiful and painful. So I actually stopped writing for ages. And I mean ages. So um, I, I was writing in my 20s and somewhere in my 20s, I stopped writing. I'm 47 today. And I just started back writing about three years ago, two years, I'll say uh, two and a half, three years ago. And in that span of time, yeah, I've been able to write two books. Yeah, that's really good. <laughs> and, you know, you said you have a very like lifetime BET kind of a life. <laughs> yeah. And that's very true because, yeah. uh, you know, I've read some of your history okay, and you had, yeah. you had your book available to me. Yeah. Um, I think it's important for people to hear at least some of that because yeah. it helps them realize like, you know, we're not just kind of talking into the wind or whatever here. Yeah. Like you've got the real experience to back up. Yeah, absolutely. This. I always say Colton that I do have, um, you know, my psychological, my psych psychology education. And I'm grateful for that, but I have a PhD in the hard knocks of life. <laughs> like, like I have <laughs> lived it. And so, um, and you're right. I do, um, talk a lot about my personal um, circumstances that I've, that I've grown through, not just lived through in my books. And so just to give a little bit of that, I grew up in a family with all boys. So I'm the only girl out of actually five brothers. And, and then I turned around and had all boys. I have four boys. I don't know what the heck that's about, but I wound up being my life, my entire life surrounded with a bunch of boys, men, testosterone, grunting and touching stuff and just, you know, the nasty stuff that boys do. I, I picked up some of them habits. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm just so used to being around boys, which, which gives me a soft look, but definitely rough around the edges. My middle son, he's 15. He will often tell me just before you open up your mouth, mom, just make sure that it needs to be said. And I'm like, you know what? Great talk. You're right. <laughs> You're right. But um, so I grew up with with a bunch of boys. And and a lot of times that means that it's rough around the house. I grew up in a single parent home. So my mom didn't take no mess. She was very much rough and all about business. And unfortunately, growing up with all boys, there wasn't a lot of time for emotions to be displayed. So I, I learned at an early age to push aside any type of emotions that was impacted that that was connected with any experience that I that I had growing up. And I, I use it all the way through my adulthood. So whatever it was, if it was um, something horrible happened to me, a painful situation, if I was embarrassed or shunned or just humiliated or angry, I learned to push that aside because nobody had time to tend to those feelings and help me to process. And that is that that can be 
good in certain settings, but it can definitely be dangerous if you never learn how to process those emotions. At the age of two, I was burned on 25% of my body, primarily my feet, my legs and my feet. And um, so my entire life, I just remember people talking about me and not wanting to be around me and thinking that I was ugly because of my disfigurement. So I definitely know what it's like to be stared at and you're talking to somebody and they're staring at your disfigurement and you're like, I'm, you know, that happened to me, but I'm a person too. I definitely know what that feels like. And I was at the age of 11, I was sexually abused by my stepfather and, um, and lived with that, never was able to process. When I talk about the emotions aspect, I never um, ever processed what that meant for my life, how that tore something from within me. You know, um, it was a matter of you survived it. Um, this is what we are going to do to manage it as a family. And then um, you pick up and you move on. And, and so that definitely wasn't healthy, but that's how I learned to, to cope. Since I could remember, I have had experiences with um, suicidal ideation in regards to um, depression and anxiety and not even knowing that that's what it was. I just knew I was sad all the time and I had joyful moments and I could laugh and joke with everybody else. But when I was by myself is when I was the most sad and just my mind just racing and not being able to capture my thoughts and feeling like my thoughts were so loud in my head that I really wanted to just suffocate myself to make them stop. And so I've definitely lived that story very in depth and, and have um, even attempted suicide um, growing up from teenager, um, even through adulthood, as far as really, really contemplating and working out how I would end my life. And again, really what was at the core of it all, Colton, was me not being able to deal with emotionally all those things that had happened to me, not knowing how to cope, just knowing how to step over it, but never learning how to stop and say, wait, did that just happen to me? What the heck was that? And just really crying it out or having somebody to talk to that listens. I never had that. And so um, it took until I was really in my mid forties when I realized that I definitely, definitely needed a, what I consider a safe place. I needed some place where the people didn't judge me for my thoughts and that it truly was a place where if I said, I want to kill myself, that they didn't say, oh, she needs to go to the crazy house. But instead they stopped and talked to me and listened to me uh, without judgment and talked me off the ledge and helped me to realize that I needed a medical interaction and I also needed talk therapy and, and just supported me through that whole process. So I went through quite a lot in my life. That's not even all of it. Um, you got to read the book, <laughs> but, um, but that's quite a, you know, that, that's quite a lot for anybody's life. And unfortunately it took a lot of years for me to even realize that that was a lot because for me, that was normal. That was my life. You know, it was no different than anybody else in the neighborhood that I grew up with. So when people got surprised about, oh my God, you went through that for me, it was like, what are you talking about? You know, don't everybody go through stuff like that. And, and there may be a, a threat of dysfunction in many people's lives, but, but, but never, you know, rarely, uh, or it's, it's more than it should be anyway, when it's throughout your entire life, clearly there is something that really needs to change. And so, you know, there, there had to come a place where I took ownership of my life and decided to no longer be a victim, um, no longer allow the things that occurred to me to depict what I was going to be. And that's what I mean by being a victim. 
um, or self-victimization, not sitting in that space of all these wrongs happened to me so nothing good could ever come from me, really changing that mindset and saying that I refuse to allow these things to depict what I will be in my life. And that was, it took a lot of bravery. It took courage because I was scared, (laughs) okay, to make that type of decision. Because oftentimes when you're making that type of decision in a space where it's so dysfunctional, you are, you become the black sheep. You become the black sheep for doing good, (laughs) not for doing bad. And so um, those are my experiences as well. And so I talk a lot about that um, in my book and just the way that I found myself, that I found my freedom that I made it okay with myself, losing people that I cared about deeply because I changed my life and they did not agree with my life change. I I became um, healthier mentally and emotionally, spiritually, and they did not agree. So I had to separate from that relationship and it was painful. But um, I talk a lot about that in my book and just really how important it is to get to a place where you realize or where you make a determining a determination of what you want your legacy to be. What do you want people to say about you when you walk out of the room? Not when you're in their face, right? What type of character do you want to have? What, you, what do you want your reputation to be? Not in a way of, I do this so that I can get this effect, but truly um, your self-realization, your highest state of who you wish to become, What are you doing to get to that place from the inside out? Yeah. What a story to tell. But what I was wondering when you were talking is, you know, you grew up with all boys and now you're raising all boys. Um, (laughs) Has had, has going through that kind of not being able to show so much emotion in the household changed how you parent with your kids? For sure. For sure. And so I am by nature an old school parent. I take pride in being an old school parent. And for me, that means um, there are things that from um, my my parents' generation and their parents' generation that was handed down as far as how we parent that I believe is still important um, as far as like it takes a village to raise, you know, you know, raise kids and and that I gave birth to you, there is no way you are going to talk to me any kind of way. Like I, I see black, I see red. Like if you do, like I just snap, like there is just, I can't even depict, like I can't even fathom it. Um, a certain level of respect, a certain level of dignity, a certain level of self-responsibility, you know, and just really, really imp- impressing that upon my children and, and being accountable and responsible and and so there are certain things that that I grew up with as far as character building that I for sure hold on to with with every piece of me. But there are other parts of the way that I grew up that were outright dysfunctional that um, because my mom learned it or my dad learned it, that's what they taught. And it doesn't make it doesn't mean it was right. It's just that that's what they were taught. And they didn't have the strength to break the habit. And a lot of times we say, do as I say, not as I do. But the reality is children emulate what they see. They imitate what they see, right? And most of the time, not what you say. And so, um, so there were some things that were handed down that I did not, once I became healthier, I did not think was, was, was healthy. So um, an example would be, we talked about emotions, holding in my emotions and feeling like if I cried, I was weak. I grew up around boys. So in my day, <laughs> it was if a boy cried, 
he was a wimp. Or we would even say, call him a sissy. You were a sissy. You were a punk. You know, um, you are all these negative things. If you cry, toughen up. What's wrong with you? Why are you crying? And that's the household I grew up in. So I had our brothers. Well, that was what was told to me too. toughen up. What are you crying for? Right. So me, me growing up with that all the way into adulthood, that's the way I lived my life. And so even as a grown woman with children and a husband and a profession, um, I still, when I got really upset, I would tell myself, Fatima, stop crying. What are you crying for? Toughen up. Right. And for me, I saw that as self-discipline. I really viewed that as self-discipline, but in actuality, I was hurting myself, not allowing myself to feel whatever it is that I was feeling. And I really had to truly allow myself to do that. So that meant if I felt humiliation, allow myself to feel that humiliation so that I can work through it. If I felt sadness or just true rage, doesn't mean that I acted out, but allow myself to feel it so that I can choose to release it. If I'm constantly suppressing it and saying, no, that's not what I feel, that's not what I feel, then I'm not being true. I'm not being honest about what's really going on inside me. So then I can never move past it. And then that's how you get bitter, resentful, and just this out of control rage. And that's how a lot of people get yelled at at McDonald's because they don't have enough fries because the person on the other side of the counter got some emotional baggage that they haven't dealt with and they want to fight over five more french fries. (laughs) But, But yeah, once I really realized that I wasn't helping myself by suppressing my emotions, I made a conscious decision that I would not put that on my kids. And even though that they are boys and that the popularity will say, Boys shouldn't cry. I don't believe in that. And so I truly believe that humans, we have emotions and we have emotions for a reason. We don't just have anger as an emotion. And so we should be allowed to express all of our emotions, no matter if you're male, female, whatever you claim that you are. You have the same type of emotions that we all have. And you should have every right to express those emotions. Do you allow those emotions to control your decisions? That's where that discipline comes in it. No, you don't want to make decisions based off emotions, but you definitely need to be able to feel them and recognize that they're there so that you can strategize how to get past them, how to get through them. So with my boys, I definitely, when they come home and they're upset because in their world, whatever happened is major, I've definitely had to train myself to stop and have the conversation on their level, like really step into their world and, and get, come out of my grown-up world and step into their world and discuss that issue based on what is critical in their world. And then from there, if, you know, I, I have a son, he's very, he's very, very passionate. And when, he's, when he loves you, he loves you. But when he's upset, he's upset. And so I definitely have had to work with him and, and, and comfort him and not necessarily coddle him because I don't believe in coddling. But, you know, I now I do believe in, you know, co- co- you know, cuddling time, <laughs> but, but coddling, no. However, I do believe in respecting the feelings. And so when he's upset and he looks like he's right on the edge of crying, but he's trying to hold it back, I'll tell him it's okay to cry. I know you want to cry. Go ahead and cry so that he can get it out. Now, why are you getting it out? Let's talk about how we can fix it. Let's talk about what part that you may have played 
what part that you didn't play? Let's talk about if it was completely that person's fault and what we can learn from it and how we can work this out. But as far as telling them, no, stop that. Don't be like that. Stop crying. No, never. I don't do that. And it's really because of the fact that I understand that it's important that we all have the freedom and feel the freedom to feel. That's why we have emotions to feel and that everybody should have that freedom to express their feelings. And I just don't want my children, especially being boys that are grow- they're going to grow to be men. I just don't want them to become angry and full of so much rage because they never process their emotions. Yeah. And that I think rings true for a lot of people, you know, um, obviously I, I grew up into being a man and I was raised very much in that, like, mm-hmm. you know, men don't cry men don't show their emotions, men don't, whatever it is. Um, and I think one of the things that you you know talk about in your book and you talk about in general, that's really important is finding this place of self-love. Yeah. And I think that's, that's great. And I'd love to hear yeah. about it. Yeah. And it's, it's, that's a continuous journey. So to me, that's just like healing. Healing is ever evolving. Forgiveness is just like forgiveness forgiveness is ever evolving because sometimes you think you've forgiven somebody and then the reminder of the situation comes up and you get angry all over again, then you have to reset all of that. Right. And so um, to me, healing is that same way to me, self-discovery and self-love is that same way. There's always parts of ourselves that we may not have realized makes us so awesome. And so as we are discovering who we are, then that's an extra piece of us that we need to say, you know what, I'm okay with that. I love that piece of me, you know, Um, me growing up, I didn't really have anybody that stopped to pour into me like that, that, that told me how important I was in their life. And more importantly, that showed me how important I was in their life. So my father, he was not in my life, my entire life. Actually, it's just recently that we were able to um, have um, forge a relationship. But so that meant for 40 years, He has truly not been a part of my life. And my mom being as busy and hard and rough as she was, she rarely, rarely stopped to say, I love you. and This is how much you mean to me. And when she did, it was hard to hear the words because of the angry actions that would that would be there a lot, too. So it was conflicting. So for me, I thought love was beating me. I thought love was hurting me. And I mean, I really did. Like, I really thought that that's what um, that's what love looks like. And so when I picked mates, I picked mates basically on the fact of if they hurt me, if they beat me, that they must really love me. They must really care. And I'm making them so upset um, and they love me so much. They you know, that's why they're hitting me. And and then they, they can't help it because they're just so they're just so in love with me. And in some weird way, that made sense to me. And that's because of the lack of love I have for myself. Okay. So anybody that gave me any type of attention, I was like, oh, shoot, you, you know, you love me. Oh, I'm down. <laughs> like Whatever, whatever you want to do, let's do it. You know, I don't care if you drag me around, you know, by my good hair, Colton, my good hair, <laughs> okay, my good wig. I don't care if you, if you drag me around somewhere in there, there is love and I'm going to tap back into it. And so I put, I think I put myself through so much more than what I had to go through just by holding on to somebody that did not love me in the way that I did. They didn't love me. I shouldn't even say in the way that I deserve to be loved because they did not love me. And, um, and, and I didn't love myself. And so 
it was only when I started, honestly, when I was down and out, when I got to a place where I truly felt like I was in the pit, I was in the dirt, I was, people call it your rock bottom. I was at my rock bottom and I started to, um, I didn't know which way to go. So I, I started going to talk therapy and I started um, really researching how to change my mind state what to focus on versus what not to focus on. I'm a very spiritual person. I am a Christian. And so for me, it was really, really leaning into my uh, relationship with Christ and just really focusing on the positive messages that, that he sends for us or the Bible speaks of in regards to who I am, the sod of the earth. I'm the one that makes things flavorful. It, it, I am loved, you know, and and really trying to understand what does love even look like? I haven't had a father. I don't, I mean, I've had a mama, but, but that seems conflicting in regards to what love looks like. My stepfathers beat me or molested me. The men that I've been with, they did the same. So how can anybody tell me that I'm loved? And it really, 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 as painful as it was to realize, it really, really came down to me loving myself first. It really took me back to that moment where I was sitting in the therapist's office and I'd been gone for about a month and I had gotten coping um, skills to deal with anxiety because I was having anxiety almost every day. And I, and I came to a certain place in my prayer time where I said, where I realized that I had to participate in my own healing. And that meant that I had to do more work. I had to re, um, dive deeper. So if I'm having these thoughts about when I was molested, let's dive deeper and see why am I having these thoughts. Let's figure out why they keep coming up at these weird moments. And um, I went through this process where I took everything that was a hurt or a hang up. So that meant anything that made me flare up and get angry as I talked about it or made me upset when I talked about it and anything that was downright cruel intentions towards me. All those things, I took them individually and I looked at them like under a microscope. And I said, what was the situation? Who was involved? What happened? How did the situation make me feel? Did it, make, did it break my heart? Did it, did it embarrass me? Did I want to crawl under the floor? I mean, what, how did it make me feel? And then how did, how did those feelings damage me? Now I never go to that place again. Every time I go by that place, I think about the situation and I think about those people and I wish they were dead. I mean, what, you know, I'll never date again. I never want to date again because I don't trust anybody again because when I was, they cheated on me and I felt so embarrassed and like a fool. So now I never want to date again. Well, how did it damage me? And then who was at fault? And it was when I got to that spot of who was at fault where truly things began to change for me. But outside of who was at fault, once I got to that state of writing, who was at fault for every single situation, it was now what? You recognize what happened. You recognize how you felt, how it impacted your entire life and who was at fault. At, but now what? What are you going to do with all that information that you just pulled up from your memory? Right. What are you going to do with it? And that's when I began to walk into self-love because I had to make a choice. Do I want to continue to allow this stuff to keep me in bondage, to keep me resentful, to keep me feeling like I can't live my life to the fullest because this is weighing me down? Or do I want to choose to free myself from this 
And only somebody that loves themselves can make the decision to free themselves. And so as I began to work through every single one of these things in my personal life, that was either a hang up where it made me very upset to talk about it, or that it was just obviously cruel that somebody did this to me and everybody knows that they did this, but I never worked through the, worked through the emotional part of it. Once I worked through each one of those situations, each time I decided to release it, each time I decided to take control basically of the situation and choose what I wanted to do with it, that was me loving on myself. And so I learned self-love by working through my mess and taking charge over how it had impacted my life. To me, that's self-love. And so I've done that for a number of things that happened in my life. And the more I did those things, the, li the lighter I felt, the more free I felt, the, the less in bondage I felt. I didn't feel like I owed anybody my life anymore. I felt like I could live how I wanted to live because I had worked through a bunch of stuff. And I, I, I genuinely had joy from the inside out. I wasn't faking it anymore. I didn't have as many anxiety attacks. The depression lessened. I mean, it was just like I'd never experienced such freedom like that before. And it all started with me saying, you know what? It comes a time where people can try to help you, but you're not going to get that far if you don't start helping yourself. And I had to take that accountability. That was another step in loving myself. So self-love has to do with action. It's not just saying I'm a queen and, you know, I'm, I'm the queen, I'm the diva. Um, or I work 50 million jobs and I have all this money and I got red bottoms and, uh, you know, I, I live this fabulous life in this fabulous place. That's nothing. That's all material stuff. And honestly, that's just a nice way to cover your mess because trust me, I can cover my mess. <laughs> I know how to dress up some mess. Okay. Uh, but it's more than that. It goes way deeper than that. It goes to that place where once you take all that stuff off, and you're looking in the mirror and you're staring in the mirror and you're just looking at yourself in the mirror and you just stay there for 30 seconds, for a minute, for five minutes, staring at yourself and all that stuff that starts to come up is dealing with that stuff, the stuff that people don't see. And that's when the self-love really starts to take root because you begin to be put in a situation to make some tough decisions. So it's all self-love is all about actions and how you are showing up for yourself. And I learned that. I did not learn that in a book. I didn't learn that in a textbook. I didn't learn that from anybody telling me. I learned it by walking through it. And it was painful and it was uncomfortable, but then it was enlightening and then it was exciting and then it was awesome. And then it was like, wow. And then it was like, whoa. I mean, it was all of that, <laughs> you know? It was all of that. It was all of that. Um, but I, I would say, you know, in regards to, there was a big moment with the, with the sexual abuse for many years. I, we ne I never talked about it with my mom for like 30, over 34 years. We had not had the conversation about me being sexually abused by my stepfather. And when I worked through the pro the, that exercise where I said, what happened? Who were the people? How did I feel? What damaged me? How did it damage me? And then who was at fault? And I said earlier that it was when I got to who was at fault that I began to feel freedom because my entire, those entire 34 years, I held on to guilt for the sexual abuse that had happened to me. Now, granted, I understood that, that he was too old and he should never have done that to me. I understood that theoretically, but in my emotional space and in the way that I was um, codependent to my family and in the way that I just fell over backwards for, for people to make them happy so that they would love me, 
a lot of that was because I felt guilty for what happened to my family after it was reported that he hurt me and we lost a lot of stuff. So I always carried that guilt that it was my fault. If I never would have said anything, then we would have still been able to live where we live. We would have still had so many other things. Nobody would ever knew. We could have just had the perfect life and that didn't happen. And I carried that guilt. And it was when I did that exercise and I got to the place thinking about myself at 11, 12 years old, getting sexually abused by a grown man, who was at fault? There was no way thinking about that, that it was a 12 year old person's fault. And it was in that moment that I felt something break within me to say, I'm allowed to be free from this if I choose it. And I allowed myself to be free from, from holding guilt over something that I did not deserve to be, to be owning guilt over. Yeah. It seems like, you know, you learned a lot on the way to this, this PhD of hard knocks. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, is that the same kind of process you would recommend for anyone that might be listening or just anyone that you run into who is trying to deal with a lot of, you know, negative emotion, yeah. um, you know, whether they've been made afraid of something or they've been betrayed by people, or they've just been kind of forced into, you know, what would seem like a victim role. Yeah. So I, I definitely, 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 if you wanted to, if someone wanted to walk away today with some tangible tools that they could take and start to use today, I would definitely say that this is what I, I teach my clients um, towards the end of our sessions. We walk through a session similar to this. There's a lot of other things that we walk through also, though, as far as getting to that place where you are able to be honest when you do this exercise, because a lot of us, sometimes we want to continue to hold on to the pain and not necessarily look at the situation from all sides. We want to only look at the situation from our painful point of view. And not all the time, our painful point of view is the correct point of view. So there's definitely um, space in there um, where there needs to be some inner workings and like gut checking, like honest um, looking yourself in the mirror type of conversation um, upon approaching this exercise so that you can be real. And then you can truly be honest and say, if I was at fault, then you need to put your name down and say you was at fault. But in general, this is a awesome tool. And I promise you, you can use it anywhere. I've used it when, um, when I've had to have conversations professionally, I've used it having conversations with my children and apologizing to my children for things that at the, when I did the stuff, I thought I was right. <laughs> but then years later, I think back on that situation, that one situation that I feel like kind of changed our relationship and I can see where I, where I was wrong. And so I use this same process to be able to create a space for me and one of my children to have a deep conversation. So yes, I would definitely say that. And how I generally would break it down is you can make six columns on a piece of paper, and this is just to give you an idea. And then you say who, right? Who is the specific person that was a part of this situation? If it was a bunch of people, but it's one situation, uh, I still I still would prefer you do one person at a time so it doesn't get jumbled up. So if it's, you know, keep it simple. In my case, it would be um, my dad. I put my dad on the piece of paper. What happened? Okay, a bunch of stuff happened. But if it's different things that have happened, then I'm going to write his name like maybe six times because there are six events. 
So I'll, I'll have six papers for him. Each event has the right to get its own respect, its own stage. So I'm going to use each event on one piece of paper. I'm not going to jumble them up. I'm only going to bring them together. If it's in a nutshell, he was a jerk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or, or in a nutshell, he wasn't there. Being specific is really key so that you can really zero in on what the true core issue is. Okay. So my dad didn't show up for my graduation. That's specific. Now I can group it up and say, he just wasn't there. And that's an example. But in this case, he didn't show up for my graduation. How did it make me feel? I felt sad. I felt uh, what I'm neglected and, and everything else that you could think of. Right. And then how did it damage me? I told myself I would never ask him for another thing in my life. He would never bail me out of anything. I will work my butt off before I ever reach out to him and have him give him an opportunity to reject me like he rejected me when I asked him to come to my graduation. You see, that's the damage right now. Really, in high insight, who am I hurting? I'm probably hurting myself because I'm carrying this bitterness. Right. But to me, I'm thinking I'm hurting him. He will never get that chance. OK. And then from there, who was at fault? Well, it's clear who was at fault. He was at fault. I reached out to him. He told me he was working and he couldn't come and never even got off the phone to even ask if he could come. He just said no. I felt horrible. I felt horrible that he was at fault. But now what, Fatima? You, you remember what he did. This is a part of your baggage with your dad. It was your dad. He didn't come to your, your, your graduation. You felt horrible. You felt embarrassed, humiliated, neglected. And now you've carried that through your entire life. But now what? So now to me, my now what is, let's look at the full picture as much as I can. Okay, he was a druggie. He was a druggie my entire life. He was. And realistically, did I want a druggie around me? You know, I mean, when you think about it, I probably was better off with him not in my life at that time. Doesn't make it better. Doesn't make me feel better. But thinking about the overall picture, he was a drug user. He kept going back to the streets. Every time he came back into my life, he would go back. And it was just like a, you know, a, a swinging door. And that was more painful. So because I know that now I can say, you know what? I'm going to choose to let that go. I'm going to choose to release it because holding on to it is not getting me anything. He was on drugs anyway. So how is that going to help me to even hold on to something that he was sick during that time? I'm making a choice to release that out of me because I could use something else with that space. You know, I'm not going to hold myself captive and be bitter over that. That's what I mean. That's the process. And in order to be able to do that realistically, you have to be in a space within yourself to where you're just tired of holding on to stuff. If you do this process thinking that you're about to go to people and demand apologies, you're wasting your time. And so that's a second part of the process where when it is safe to do so, you would go and have a conversation with people. You may write a letter. You may talk to them on the phone or be able to meet them face to face. But it's really just to give your pain a voice. It is never to hear I'm sorry because maybe they're not sorry and you're just setting yourself up. So in order to be able to work through this, th through this exercise, honestly, you really need to be okay with, I'm going to be okay regardless if I ever get an apology and awareness from them. I may never get it, but I'm going to be okay. And that is why you're doing the exercise. You're doing the exercise to free yourself, not them. And that I think is very important. You know, doing something for yourself is always going to be more productive than trying to just yell at other people. Yeah. Um, and it just makes me think like, 
do you go through this same writing process more than once? Because I imagine the first time you do it, like it brings up a lot of raw emotion, especially if it's been a while and you haven't had to yeah. think about it. Like you're just angry the first time you write it. Yeah. And that's okay though. That is okay. So just because you do the exercise doesn't mean that you're ready to talk to anybody. The point is to give your pain a voice. And so if you've had these things inside, you live in cocked up in an old chair inside your heart, not trying to move nowhere, sitting in front of a TV, watching the same old marathon, this is junk inside of you, right? You're trying to get this out of you. It has really nothing to do with the other person, although it does impact other people, right? Although other people played a part, it truly is about you. So when you're writing these things out, it's more so processing. It's more so saying, why am I so angry at this person? Every time they come around me, I, I just, ugh, I can't stand them. Why? And you can think because they get on my nerves. But what does that mean, really? What does they get on my nerves mean? How do they get on your nerves? Well, okay, so when they come in the room, they're always bragging. What do you mean? Well, paper. It was this situation. This was the person They came in the room and they got this promotion and they wanted everybody to know that they got the promotion and they wouldn't stop talking about it. But what's the core issue? As you work it out, you may see that the core issue is you are jealous because you didn't get the job. And they're going to be who they are. It's not about them. It's about you. But as you work through the process, who was to blame? Well, they are because they came in the room and was bragging. Okay, yeah, but... <laughs> But why is it bothering you so much? Why is it bothering you? That's who they are. They don't owe you anything. And if they're proud, they're proud. So why is this bothering you so much? Now let's get to the real thing. Well, because I worked so hard to get to where they are. And I hate watching them succeed in something that I've worked so hard for. So the core issue is not even about them. It's about you, right? So it really is this process is it, it really works best when you've really had um, some self-awareness of who you are and what, you're, what people continue to say you are. And, and if relationships continue to fail uh, and you're the common denominator, um, you know, your friends continue to say that they love being around you, but, but, but things always go crazy when you come. We don't know if you're gonna be happy or sad. You're just all over the place. Let's look at that. Um, I'm angry and I don't know why I'm angry. I just get so angry and pop off at the mouth so quickly. Let's look at that. So first, you we want to be in a space where we're looking at those things. And then once we're looking at those things and we're in a space where we can be honest about, you know what, I really need to check myself. Then once we've done some inner work on ourselves, this step coming in to say, who was at fault? These are the things in my life it's much more beneficial because if we come to it with a self-victimization mindset, then everybody's going to be wrong. We're always going to be right. And they're going to owe us an apology and we're not going to get anywhere. It was just, it was just journaling. Right. So that, that is the whole point as far as, um, and that's why I like to, when I'm working with my clients is we go through a, quite a few um, study guides and what that looks like is, asking them thought-provoking questions, asking them, you know, what was it like a, as a kid and, and really, really writing these things down. What is one thing that is a huge pet peeve for you? What can you not stand? Why? Explain it. Well, where did that come from? And they write down their answers and then we get together and they literally 
just read what they wrote about in regards to those questions. What is your pet peeve? They give me the answer. And then from there, if I hear some common denominators in their answers, we'll stop and we'll talk about it. And a lot of times we get to a space where it's not even about the fact that people chew their gum too loud and pop it. It's not about that. It becomes my aunt used to pop her gum all the time. And whenever I would go over to her house, she'd be popping her gum and she'd always put me down and tell me how ugly I was. See, it's not even about the popping the gum, <laughs> right? right? So th- that's the type of work that we do. And then once we've done a, a good amount of that work, then we'll walk into, okay, so let's talk about that other stuff that we haven't really talked about. Let's talk about, you know, the things that are truly, truly hurting you. Or throughout this whole session, these sessions we've had, you brought up this common denominator. I encourage you to look at that when we do this exercise and let's talk about it. Let's write it out, you know? And then from there, they're in a space where they can be more transparent and be more aware of not just their own pain, but the circumstances that were a part of the situation, not just from their painful perspective. Yeah, and I think the more I hear you talk about this, the more I think it's important for people, you know, to take those feelings and realize like, this isn't going to go away just because you write about it once, or you talk to somebody about it once, like this is a a long process. Yeah, it can be. It just, so I'm a true believer that you get out of anything, what you put into it. And when you're talking about a soul healing journey or just healing some things in your life, you, you get out of it, what you put into it. So if you come to the table saying, I'm done with this, I'm tired of being a hothead, I need to get to the root of why I'm this way, then, you know, then you're going to go places. If you come to it saying, yeah, I recognize that I'm a hothead, but it's because this, then, you know, you're going to get out of it what you put into it. And and you're right. Even when I work with my clients and usually we work together about two months, um, depending on how in depth we go, it'll be a three month commitment. Um, I always tell them like the, the real work doesn't happen, doesn't start when you're with me. It really starts when you leave me because you've worked through all of this in-depth, raw, honest stuff. And I've listened to you and you vented and you've shared some things that you probably haven't shared with people. And I've given you tools and you've tried to work these tools, but now we're not going to be speaking every day, Right. Now you're going to go out and take those tools and you have to determine how much you want it. You know, you got to keep putting in these, using these resources and using these resources. And sometimes you're going to screw up, but that's why it's progress, not perfection. I know all of this Colton, but if somebody eat my chocolate, man, <laughs> I'm not taking no piece of paper and write down this would happen and da, 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 please, I'm telling somebody else. <laughs> You're like, I'm going to get my chocolate. That's what I'm going to get. Somebody going to go do something right now. Um, We all have, we all have places where we have to continue to remind ourselves the person that we want to be, where we're striving to be, how we're striving to be and, and the road to get there. And we all have a choice every day to choose that role that is easier, that we're more comfortable with to pop off at the mouth and tell people how we really feel and cuss them out because it makes us feel good or choosing the other road where we breathe we take a walk, we write it out, we think about what is really going on with us before we actually have that conversation. So it happens to all of us, right? It's just a matter of practice makes perfect, it really does. And you have to continue to lean on those tools that you have learned from therapy or from a life coach or from whoever, somebody around the corner that gives you wisdom. Take those in and continue to use those resources to get 
to become the person on the inside that you want to be. If you change the person on the inside, automatically what you give out is going to change. Automatically, people are going to notice. Your job is going to notice. Your friends are going to notice. Your spouse, they're going to know. Everybody's going to notice. The kids are going to notice. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's just inevitable. So you don't even have to worry about all of that changing. If you start to work on yourself and truly say, I know I have some habits that I need to release. I know that I've been molested. I've been beat. My family act like they don't love me. I'm always the black sheep. Um, nobody's down for me. I feel like I'm always alone. Even in the midst of all of that, you can still make a choice to say, but I'm going to be there for myself. And I'm not going to let those things uh, depict my narrative of my life. I'm not going to let these things make me feel like I can't be the best me that I can be, that I can't reach my goals. I'm going to use them as a platform, not to say, nah, 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 I told you so, but to show myself that I can do anything that I put my mind to. I can change my mindset. I can change my emotional state and I can change the job, the career choice. I can change my education. I can change anything I, I put my mind to. And so it's definitely not through a vindictive space, but it's like, no, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to put myself in a self-victimization space. And I think you said that earlier that sometimes we're forced into self-victimization, but I would challenge that to say, we still have a choice. And I know that's hard to hear for a lot of people because by all accounts, we have been victimized. I was sexually abused. I was burned. That wasn't my fault. I was, I was abused by my stepfather and my man. Like that wasn't my fault. Now, maybe it was my fault for choosing the man. I'm just saying it was probably my fault for staying. I'm just saying, you know, I got some blame in that, but there are some things that I didn't make him put his hands on me. That was him. So by all accounts, I was a victim of some things. I was victimized. Victimization, self-victimization comes in when you say, well, I'm not going to even try with my life though. I'm not going to try to be anything better because all these things happen to me. And it tells me what I can and cannot do. See, I didn't get that job, man. I knew I wasn't going to get it. I knew I was stupid. I don't even know why y'all convinced me to try. I'm stupid. I'll always be stupid. My family told me I was nothing. I'll always be nothing. That right there is nicely framed as self-victimization. So, so no matter where you come from, you can make a determining factor. I would not allow this to be the narrative over my life. I will succeed. I will be more, not for other people, but for myself, because I deserve more. With everything I've been through, I deserve more. And that's why you make that decision. And that's self-love. Yeah, it feels like when you were talking about your father and you said like, well, I'm going to punish him by saying I don't want him around yeah. versus when you you know stopped and thought about it for yourself and said, well, I don't need him around. Like this right. was, it was better for me in this situation and probably for everyone involved that he just wasn't. Right. And there was a different way to look at it. And then when, when he was, when really when first he was ready, I wasn't ready. The first he was ready to talk. And then when I started working on myself and worked through a lot of that pain, I was in a place where I was ready to have the conversation with him. And we were able to take that second step and come together and talk about those pain points. And we were actually able to come. I, he came without offense. I came without offense because I had worked on me. So I didn't come with a chip on my shoulder. And that's how conversations have to happen. And so it takes a lot of work that did not happen overnight. My, my, my dad wasn't in my life for years, but, but it took the, the maybe um, a year before of concerted 
focused work on myself before I was able to have a conversation with him, a healing conversation. But like I stated, I was working on me first before I worked on me. And I was just looking at him and saying, you need to be better. You need to be a better father. You, 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 we were not going anywhere. When I started working on myself and saying, I'm making these choices because that's a way to love on myself. I'm choosing to not have him in my life because it's just making it more painful for me. But I'm also choosing to work on myself so that when it's time, I can forgive him. So working on myself, when that opportunity came, I didn't turn it down. I was able to say, you know what? I'm nervous about this conversation. Haven't talked to him like this before ever, but I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to have this conversation with him. And I'm going to pray that that God is just in the midst, that we just really have a peaceful conversation. I'm not going to go in with any expectations. I know what I would like to happen, but I'm not going in with any expectations other than me sharing the things that have happened in my life that I feel like is a way for me to give my pain a voice. That's it. And so going in that way, I believe helped us to be able to forge a relationship. If I would have went any other way, unhealed in places in my life, we never would be talking. It would have just been a crazy loving hip hop type of crazy reunion. And somebody's jumping over a table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think I feel like I'm very thankful that you've come on to speak with my audience <laughs> because you've given a lot of good lessons, good. you know, everything that you need to look in and see about yourself. And I appreciate that immensely. And I'd love to give you, you know, some time to kind of plug your books and the services you provide. Thank you. So um, my first book is called The Prescription is in the Dirt. And that actually is very, very dear to my heart. It speaks heavily about what I've personally gone through in my life from childhood, some things that I talked about today. Um, But as a grown up and trying to figure out how to heal myself, how to walk through healing, this big old word healing, like there's a angel in the sky break open and it's all <laughs> like what does that look like on a for a regular person <laughs> right and so I talk about those steps that I had to take um, dealing with different relationships in my life and that was my relationship as a daughter as a wife as a mother um, as a friend uh, so on every as a sister on every relationship level just talking about the different things that happened in my life and how I came to realize my direction to get healing in that in that in that predicament in that situation and so um, so that is um, has been out has been doing awesome I'm very grateful for the reviews I have a five-star rating and I'm just excited about that <laughs> so um, and then uh, my new book that actually just came out, it launched yesterday, actually, and it is called I Said What I Said. It, it's actually um, more so about my um, parenting style. <laughs> so um, it is called I Said What I Said, My Candid Journey to Mothering Four Boys While Remaining Reasonably Sane. So that one is, is it takes a little bit of lighter approach, um, definitely more laughs. And um, we'll be like, brace yourself because there's a difference between Fatima, the woman and Fatima, the mom. Okay. (laughs) So you're getting two different people in in two different books, but I'm awesome for, I'm I'm excited for that one to have dropped and they can both be found on Amazon, of course, because Amazon has everything. So you can definitely um, pick that up and, and yeah. And, and so it was because of me working through my journey and then, and then to me tripping into a book. And writing a book 
And then it opening up the door for me to work with people just because of them reaching out to me and asking me to. Um, that definitely um, made my my space broader. And so I do do one-on-one client consultations and, and really work in-depth one-on-one sessions with people. And I'm very excited about the work that that gets done, just being able to be in a space where you are literally watching miracles happen. I mean, I, I'm just like, wow, like every time. So um, if anybody is ever interested in reaching out to me in regards to that or just a chat, um, you can definitely find me. I have a website. It is FatimaC.com. That's FatimaC.com. Or on social media. And I'm, I'm everywhere. Instagram, Facebook. What, what they got? Twitter. What else? What else is out there? I don't know. Um, it's too many. Yeah. <laughs> I'm there. Reddit. Um, yeah, I'm there. <laughs> so. Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming. And I, you know, I hope people reach out and buy a book and like put some time into learning, you know, how to love themselves and how to, yeah. how to heal from whatever they've they've been through. Yeah, absolutely. I also have some free resources on the website. So whatever you need to be able to get you going, please go there and and try to check it out. You know, it's free, download it. Nobody has to know that you got it right. And you just work (laughs) through the steps and, and it's one step at a time. It's the little steps. I say baby steps count too. And it's true. They do. Right. So just one step at a time and be encouraged. Awesome. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Just Dumb Enough podcast. Hopefully you've left a review on whatever app you're listening from. Come on. If you could also share this show with other people, I would be eternally grateful, and it would help the show immensely. My voice still isn't fully recovered, so I'm going to keep the last of this brief. If you make music or art, you should send it to me at dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com. And for the people asking, there is no just in the email. I know it's in the show name, it's not in the email. The email is dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com. Our February rankings have been interesting to watch, to say the least, and are as follows. Number one, the United States, making up some of the ground that it lost previously. Number two, Canada. Number three, the UK. And for their first times in the rankings, France at number four and Brazil at number five. Regardless of these rankings, I want all 57 countries and all of the listeners that I have in those countries to know that I appreciate every single one of you more than you possibly know. And I'm looking forward to seeing you all in the next episode. Until then, bye bye